right, guys, welcome to our second podcast of Defective by Design with Matthew Rosenberg, uh, that's me, of MRAD Architecture, and... Uh, Jared Skinner with uh, Made Design. So we have a very special guest today who's joining us, Sterling Hawkins. Thanks, Sterling. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. Sterling comes from a deep, deep history of retail. His great-great-grandmother started the company that he is now running and growing and loving and curating called CART, C-A-R-T. He has a rich legacy. He comes from a family that really has uh, evolved and been entrepreneurs in, in the industry of retail. Sterling has worked with companies like Mitsubishi, M&M Meat Shop, Procter & Gamble. He's taught and spoken at Stanford, Cornell, University of Texas. And he's really proliferating this idea of uh, new retail, which he'll get into a bit on our podcast today. Uh, Sterling is uh, traveling around the globe now, speaking to many very intelligent people about where the future of retail is going. So we are very fortunate to have him here today and look forward to getting as much insight as we can into where the future of retail is going. Yeah, and there's a lot going on right now. So there's much to talk about. I love it. All right, well, let's get right into it. I mean, there's a lot going on, Jared, in uh, in retail. Why don't you get into the, our, the news about Toys R Us, which is pretty exciting. It's the first I heard. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we were we were talking about this today, and it just it kind of took me by surprise. Um, so Toys R Us just filed uh, bankruptcy, and um, I'm just kind of curious as to how uh, you think Sterling that this is going to kind of uh, take off from here. I know that Nordstrom's is trying out the whole uh, kind of experiential stores, and there's the e-commerce part, um, and just kind of see where you see uh, Toys R Us heading from here because as you know when I was growing up it was always amazing going to Toys R Us walking down the aisles picking out different things different board games different action figures and now that's kind of taken away right I mean now you either know exactly what you want it seems and you order it and it's there in a day or where do you see this going like where's Toys R Us go from here yeah yeah I I remember being a, a kid walking through Toys R Us as well that was a lot of fun I remember yeah. shooting Nerf guns at my mother, pretending <laughs> like she she didn't see me, and that it was some other kid. <laughs> She's like, "We're not coming back here." Then we wonder why they're not in business anymore. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, what's really interesting is I, I saw a stat the other day, and I don't recall the numbers off the top of my head about what percentage of toys and, and things like Toys R Us sells are being sold on Amazon, and I think that's where a lot of their business is going. And so if we kind of back up from Toys R Us specifically to say, well, you know, what's happening with retail? Like a lot of stores are closing. More stores will close in 2017 than ever before in history. That's not good news for architects and designers. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there a positive light on the other side of that story? <laughs> there is. I mean, it's, and it's, almost the antithesis of what you'd expect, which is at the same time, more retail stores will open this year than ever before in history. Thank goodness. Right, and and we've got this weird dichotomy of all these stores closing and all these stores opening, and 
a lot of people say, well, Sterling, what, what's happening here? And what's happening is, is retail's changing. Like the, the big stores, um, stores that aren't kind of personal in nature, they don't have good customer relationships, we aren't sure why they're going there, they haven't embraced technology, yeah, they're going away. Those that you know, understand fundamentally where the consumers are going, and they understand how to service their wants and needs as a customer, will stay in business and will actually start growing. So do you think that it's, do you think that a, I guess a big part or a small part is the, is the physical store? And obviously I asked this question because this is how we are involved in retail, right? A yeah. big part of it. We design these stores, we design these experiences, but if you're telling me that all these stores are going away, but then they're all coming back, they must be coming back in a different way. And so yeah. how does that physical space actually start to affect consumerism and how does it start to affect the emotions of these people that are hopefully buying these products? Yeah, and that's, that's a great point because it is really about, well, what is your experience, not just in the store, but with the brand or with the retail chain in general? Like it used to be, we, we talk about omni-channel as, as retailers. We would say, well, you know, you've got your online business, and then maybe you've got your mobile business, and then you've got your in-store business. And they were really treated as, as silos. And the experiences were consistent. You couldn't, you know, return something in-store that you bought online. And, and this is, you know, years back when a lot of these channels were just opening up. And now, what's really cool to see is a lot of these retailers, especially the ones that are growing and doing a lot with technology, understand that. They understand that, well, they just don't need four walls of a store, but they need to create an experience with you know, some cool architecture and design that's going to land with the consumer, where they're going to create an emotional connection with them and have that be consistent through online, through mobile, through virtual reality in the future, through all those different touch points. Hmm. So if you were, I've always thought about this, if, if these stores disappear and everything becomes somewhat like a farmer's market or something that mm-hmm. is more housed in city streets and housed in these temporary structures, mm-hmm. is that, is that going to satisfy consumers? Does it matter? Um, that's a, a good question. I'm, I don't know if I know the answer to it. But we are, like if we look back at retail, like in the early 1900s, retail looked completely different. You had the local merchants, and you'd walk into the store, and you'd ask for you know, a new shirt or flour and eggs, and the merchant would go in the back room, they'd get those things for you, and they'd bring them out, and you'd pay, and you'd leave, and that's what retail looked like. And then there was this huge innovation in retail where basically one merchant said to the customer when he came in, why don't you go in the back room and get that stuff yourself? And like right there, modern retail's born. <laughs> and we really haven't changed that paradigm since. I'm not saying it, it doesn't look a little bit different. Like we add on online, we add mobile apps, we improve supply chain efficiencies by 2%. Uh, we put beacons in stores. Like we're doing a lot of stuff, but at the core of it, it's really incremental in nature. We're kind of slowly taking steps into the future, not changing the foundation of what we're doing, but just making it a little bit better or a little bit different or a little more efficient. Does that make sense? Sure. And then at the same time, what's happening with technology 
is that it's exponential in its nature, right? We all know like over some period of time, technology doubles and then it doubles again, it doubles again. And where that leaves us, if you were to look at those things kind of plotted on a graph, you've got like a linear curve in terms of what retail's generally delivering. And you've got this exponential curve, like that proverbial hockey stick of what technology is capable of delivering. There's a gap opening up between those two spaces, what retail's delivering and what's technologically possible. And it's inside of that gap, all these new retail concepts are starting to play a role whether it be farmer's market, whether it be some of the amazing things that Amazon's doing and the hundreds of millions of dollars that are going into startups. Facial recognition? Well, of course, especially after <laughs> the iPhone X. I, I, I was going to try to wait, but I couldn't, I can't help myself, guys. I, I mean, I see, you know, of course I'm going to, of course I'm going to buy the iPhone debt. I can't help myself. But, yeah. you know, I think this iPhone 10, while it looks like a new product, yeah. you know, what was it in 2012, uh, Walmart filed a patent for facial recognition within their stores hmm. to see if people were happy in yeah. the store yeah. or if they were angry or if they were unhappy with the way they had to walk through and they were tracking mm -hmm. this stuff. I mean, this has mm -hmm. been going on for a lot longer than five years. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely interesting from my point of view that this is hitting mass market as soon as it is. And mm -hmm. I'm interested to see what happens when we all have these devices and they can start changing the way that your, your tight circle starts buying things through that facial recognition. Is that, do you think that's coming or am I forcing the subject? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, it, it's happening on the iPhone 10, right? Uh, and it's not just Walmart that's looking at some of that stuff. I'm, I'm invested in a company called Doorstep that does much the same thing. It's software that just looks at video and it can understand basic demographic information. You know, are they male, female, what the age is, and it also gets into sentiment. So are they happy, sad, angry, annoyed, confused? And it's almost like, how I think about it, is all the depth of information that you get from having an e-commerce site, right? How long somebody's spending on a page, where their mouse is, um, who they are because you connect it to social media like that depth of information is starting to become available around in-store metrics and it's actually even deeper because well that person's in your store sure so how does how do we use all those metrics and Jared I'll, I'll refer to you on this a bit because I know you guys are getting into experiential marketing and design a little bit and you know I think we have all this data and now the question is who gets it what are they going to do with it mm. and how the how do the rest of us adjust you know these small architects and designers like Jared <laughs> and I how do we use this to create valuable emotional and even tangible experiences for these people so they don't just end up walking around like zombies buying things Jared you want to, you want to <laughs> jump in on this uh, one man I that's a that's a tough question because um, I know that uh, whenever you start crunching all these numbers and trying to try and hit this certain demographic or this this certain person or customer, it almost seems like it takes the whole experience of of shopping away, right? I mean, uh, a lot of times like people go in for the experience, obviously, but that experience is also just kind of uh, 
just a happenstance. You know, you wander in, you stumble on something, and and you find it, and uh, and that's that's part of the experience. And uh, I noticed that I forget what the uh, what the uh, percentage was, but I think it was like fourteen percent. Anthropology uh, stores did over fourteen percent revenue increase in their their last year because not because they rebranded themselves or did any. A crazy huge shift, but they just redesigned their store layouts in a way where people were kind of meandering and there were little nooks where things were kind of hidden, where people seemed to discover different things. Uh, they had a certain smell going in the store, uh, just like A&F, you know, whenever you're walking down the mall, you always smell mm-hmm. A&F around the corner, even though it smells awful, yeah. you know, it's around there. Um, and, and they had the, the touch of the wood and the softness and it all played into their brand, right? So um, going back to that, it's just like it's, it's increasing the experience. But I think also that is, is you can't really crunch the numbers too hard and focus on one thing. I think it needs to be uh, something that kind of reaches people on a social level, right? Because people are social creatures. They want that interaction. Um, and so I think you need to cater that. So it's a fine line. I, I don't think it's, it's just one way or the other. You touched on something interesting there, Jared, which is the, the social. And while... I wish we could pretend that wasn't being controlled and mined in terms of data. You know, the downtown project, which was spearheaded by Tony Shea, they have a crew of people walking around downtown Las Vegas, tracking how many times people look at each other, tracking how many times people walk in a store, tracking how long someone interacts with someone, whether they're speaking or nonverbals as well. And they're doing this for many reasons, but one from the conversations I've had with them is to see how they can not just manipulate, but understand what people are doing and what's creating commerce because old downtown Vegas has changed a lot in the last few years. And a a big part of it was because of them, because they brought schools, they brought retail, they brought coffee shops, they brought things that bring people together. But now they have to understand how to make this financially viable. And that comes from retail and commerce. And now they're starting to track those social interactions on a very personal level. Yeah. And, you know, Tony's vision for that was really interesting because, you know, he, he funded much of it. Right. And he looked at the traditional things like what's the return going to be on my investment? I'm going to spend all these millions of dollars and how much money am I going to get back in my account? Great. The really innovative thing that he did there that I think is not only cool, but plays into this whole discussion is he looked at, I think he called it return on community. Yeah. Like understanding, okay, well, how does this actually impact the experience of people in this area? And the result of it will be, yeah, people are going to buy things. They're going to be in restaurants, but are they going to be happy? Are they going to be connecting with each other? And those two metrics certainly correlate, right? The happier you are, the more engaged you are, well, you're probably going to buy more or you're at least going to spend more time there. Yeah. Uh, if, if anyone hasn't visited, it's definitely worth a visit. And they're still yeah. giving tours of mm-hmm. Zappos headquarters and you can still walk through Tony's apartment, I think. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, it's pretty funny stuff. But, you know, they're on that note, not to part, but they're struggling. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're going to, they have now investors and they are going to have to tap into this technology, into the future of, of this retail, because this project won't survive much longer if it doesn't turn some kind of profit beyond 
mm-hmm. community happiness. Yeah, and I, I think what was missing there is like a stronger technology component. Like it, it was very traditional in terms of the retail and the restaurants that were opening up and like great, great community, great connection, like all of that's there. But at the same time, there wasn't a focus on, well, maybe we can actually do this a little bit differently. Like fundamentally, maybe we don't need to have people walking into the stores or walking into the restaurants like they've always done. Because there's actually a new way to do these things. When we talk about technology, it doesn't have to be, well, we're going to make it a little more efficient. It's going to be a little bit better. And it's not even to the exclusion of like the whole connected experience of you having experience with another human being. But it can augment that experience. Yeah. So I'll, I'll push us now into the, I think, most fairly most recent, I guess, is the Nordstrom uh, not just the Nordstrom purchase of Trunk Club, which I recently yeah. realized when I was reading up on the on the Nordstrom, I said, "Well, this sounds very much like Trunk Club. It's exactly the same." And then, of course, <laughs> Sterling enlightens me. And, well, it is Trunk Club essentially because right. Nordstrom bought them. So, you know, and whether they're, <laughs> I think their valuation has gone from three hundred fifty million to one hundred fifty million since Nordstrom mm-hmm. got their hands on it. Uh, <laughs> what's your thought? Uh, yeah, I guess Jared and uh, Sterling on the future of Nordstrom and what they're trying to do with removing items that you can purchase from the store and really just focusing on experience and getting drunk. Yeah, you you might take it, Jared. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's interesting to me uh, this whole Nordstrom store without you know, kind of their inventory or the typical store. Um, and it seems strange to me also that it's, that it's, it's a Nordstrom store, but you're paying for non Nordstrom things with the Nordstrom brand. And I understand what they're trying to do. Um, but again, it just, it, I seem, you know, I seem like it's going to be hesitant. I'm not sure really how it's going to play out. I think it's had some, uh, you know, it's been welcomed so far, but, uh, yeah, Sterling. What what do you think? What do you uh, what do you think about this Nordstrom thing? Yeah, I think it's it's super smart. I don't. Do you know how many square feet those stores three, are? Three thousand is the first one. Okay, it's tiny. Yeah, and I, I was just gonna say, like I I don't think there's room for a, a massive store like that. But for three thousand square feet, like you can afford to be more experience oriented. Have people come in, like, like you said, just to have a beer. Maybe chat with a stylist. And, well, while you're there, pick up a new pair of pants. Sure. Or, or at least have them uh, ship it to you, right? I, I mean, I guess on that note, you know, don't people want to take something away? Not just an experience, but don't they want to hold something and walk out of that store? Otherwise, are you really just going for the experience and is that really enough I, I don't know if it is I think people instinctually need to hold on to something when they walk when they walk out of a store yeah, yeah. that that was that was kind of my uh, my thought process is you know if, if you want to go have a beer somewhere I don't think Nordstrom's going to be your first uh, kind of hot spot right yeah. um, so I mean if, if it kind of meets the tailoring needs the same thing as Trunk Club and you want to have a beer while you're there well then that's kind of different but it seems like the, the you know going there to to eat or going there just to to grab a beer. It doesn't seem like it would be uh, everybody's first kind of go to. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you. Like, when I go into a store, I want to walk out with something. And if they need to tailor it or they don't have my size, like, I'm admittedly a little disappointed that they're going to ship it to it's me. Annoying. It's I mean, annoying. I mean, you want to go, you want that thing tailored. If, if they can tailor it and you can walk out in that suit mm-hmm. and those shoes, that's what I want to do. I want, if I, I mean, I personally, I hate shopping. I hate going to the Grove, especially in those yeah. places of, uh, I guess what they've, tried to curate this high experience mm-hmm. uh, I cannot stand it I feel like I'm in not that this is a bad thing but you know somewhere in middle America where they've curated this Disneyland for a short period of time where I'm supposed to go buy something but I don't want to but I have to go because my family's in from out of town mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's your activity for the day that's, <laughs> I've just wasted two hours walking up and down that tiny street mm-hmm. an hour parking and getting out of there yeah. If I don't get something from that beyond some Frank Sinatra and, you know, a beer, that's not enough for me. Mm-hmm. It's not. I've put too much of my time in to not walk out with a pristine article of clothing <laughs> or something. That new shirt you've been waiting for? Yeah, that new shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it is like a balance between those two things because I, I don't think there's a black and white answer here that says, okay, every time you walk into a store in the future, you're going to walk out with something. Sometimes, yeah, that'll be the case. They have it in your size or they have the, the product you want, but at the same time, we all know out-of-stocks happen. Sizing is an issue. And I would focus more on, well, if that happens, if it's not in stock, how can we get it to the customer really quickly so maybe you don't walk out of nordstrom or the grove with that shirt but it's, but it's actually the there when you get home that I, yeah sure then it's even more satis- it's more satisfying than amazon than ordering online and you have to carry it around with you which sure. is something i would certainly go for yeah so is that where we're going i i think so and it's it, it's again not a, a black and white thing it's different experiences will be appropriate for different retail channels and it's not going to be just a little iteration on what's happened in the past. It used to be said in the, the grocery retail industry, like that's my whole background, yeah. right? so that's what I know. People used to say, online shopping for groceries will never happen because people want to pick out their own fruits and vegetables, right? Like they want to be in the middle of how ripe that banana is when they pick it up off the banana stand. They want to hear the watermelon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It turns out that it's a value exchange, right? Which all of this is. Where now, consumers value getting their groceries delivered to them, at least some critical mass of them, more than they do figuring out how ripe their banana is. Because they value their time. They value their time or they value whatever it is. Maybe it's the price point. Like the value can come from different places for different customers. But at the end of the day, it's the value exchange that's really going to drive the retail interaction that's going to make sense. Interesting. What are some other places, and I'm going to ask this because I'm going to lead it to my next question, which will be how can architects help better create these spaces? But yeah. what are some of the other value propositions that are present today and might be present in the future that can be exchanged other than time? Well, I, I think the one that's front and center a lot of in a lot of conversations right now is data, right? Your personal information in return for some value, like you do it with Facebook right now. 
you get the value of connecting with friends and hosting all your pictures and creating events and however you use Facebook. And in return, Facebook is using your data and selling it to advertisers. They are? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, surprise, surprise. That's actually happening. I'm going to delete my account. And it, it's the same in, in retail, especially with retailers that have loyalty. And I don't mean just the plastic key card. But the retailers that are identifying, okay, I've got Jared or I've got Matthew and I'm tying that person to this transaction. And it's that value exchange of understanding, okay, well, you're going to give your personal data to the retailer. And maybe you're going to tell them, here's your Facebook profile and you're okay with them knowing everything that you buy there. But in return, you should get something. Right? And, and whether it's personalized offers or it's access to electronic receipts or whatever it is, like that's a value exchange that I, I think we really need to figure out as an industry. So it's not just airline miles or bonus points that in two years get you a, a flight somewhere. Well, I mean, that, that can still be a part of it. But as you give up more information, as a consumer, like I want to be in the middle of that conversation with my retailer. Because if we're not part of that conversation, part of how the data is getting used and you know how people are in the physical space, I would include in that, then it will go the, the way of Facebook. And not, not that there's anything wrong with that, it's just a conversation that we should be having. Interesting. Okay, so now I'll lead to definitely not my final question, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe my final question of this podcast, because my mind is now racing. Right. Uh, how can architects and designers, one, understand the data, and two, better use it to create these spaces that hopefully are at least better experiences? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different pieces to that. And the first is, well, do you have the right data? And whether it's through uh, transaction data, people shopping in the store, usage data of how people are, are spending their time online with that particular retailer. Um, uh, like wherever you're getting the data from, understanding what's actually happening is kind of an important first piece, right? Because guessing sometimes works, but I prefer to be a little bit safer than that, Sure. right? Um, and then the second thing I think we need to be really aware of is well, what's possible with technology now? Because it is starting to have a huge impact on the format of these stores. Like what Nordstrom is doing is a perfect example of that. They're opening an entirely new kind of concept based on their ability to create things online and to deliver product and everything else. And it's like the biggest like call out, I would say, like everybody needs to be paying attention to this, is that it doesn't need to look like the past. So, uh, I'll, I'll give you an analogy. Do you know the story about the invention of chess? No, but no. I'd love to hear okay, it. Okay, <laughs> so, I, so I'll tell you this quick. It's, it's kind of a fun story. I, I don't even know if it's real, but it illustrates my point. Okay. So, um, the emperor of China was bored years back, however many hundreds of years ago when they invented chess. And he calls a local game merchant in and he says to the merchant, make me a game. Like, I'm, I'm pretty bored emperoring all day, like come up with something that I can do. And the merchant goes away and toils for days and weeks and months. And finally, he creates this thing we call chess today. 
And he runs over to the, the emperor and he, and he shows him how to play and the emperor's thrilled. He's like, this is the greatest thing. How can I ever repay you? And the merchant thinks for a second. And he goes, well, you'll pay me in rice because that's how they were paying each other back then apparently. We'll take the chessboard and on the first square, we'll put one grain of rice. And on every square thereafter, we'll double it. And the emperor's like, well, that's a great deal. Let's, let's do that. How much rice can that possibly be? So they shake hands and they finalize the whole thing and then they go about adding up the rice. The first half of the chessboard, relatively uneventful. It adds up to like a large field of rice. The second half of the chessboard is where things got interesting. By the end of it, it's something, I, I forget the exact number, but it's like 180 million trillion grains of rice, which is the part I remember. If you figure four grains of rice per square inch, it's enough rice to cover the entire surface of the earth, including the oceans, twice. And I, I told you that story because you wouldn't expect from a single chessboard and one piece of rice, you would get to an amount of rice that covers the earth once, once, much less twice. And that's what's happening with technology right now. Like one of the shortcomings of the human race, it was a University of Colorado professor that said this, is our inability to understand the exponential function. Yeah. Right? Like, it just doesn't look like you think it's going to look. You know, intellectually, like, yeah, technology is doubling year over year, and things are changing. But what you don't know is how dramatic that impact can be. And so when we look at it in, in terms of retail, well, we may not need the traditional four walls. It could look entirely different, like Nordstrom is doing, or uh, there, there could be like a marketplace, like a farmer's market, like you were saying. And it could be something that none of us can ever think of right now because, well, nobody's thought of it yet. And when we live in a world where drones and robots are delivering products and we're talking to artificial intelligence and, you know, we're maybe shopping in virtual reality it changes the game in terms of, well, what's really possible and what we want to deliver. And so I, as an architect, would think, well, like, how does that change what we're going to build? Because you have to build it in coordination today with the technology that's going to be used to run it and, like, really be responsible for that customer interaction. That almost doesn't exist today. Right. That's yeah, because we're building for the future. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's great, man. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough, Sterling, for taking your time out of your day and sharing all of this insight with us. Uh, I look forward to many future conversations with you. Uh, you guys are here with Defective by Design. Jared, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, Made.design is uh, the webpage. Uh, follow me on Snap at ARKTKT and Instagram at MadeArch, A-R-C-H. And Sterling, if people want to follow you and stalk you and learn from you, <laughs> where can they go? The best place for all that stuff is sterlinghawkins.com um, and the, the cart business at advancingretail.org. Love it. So we'll add all this info on the, on the podcast as well so you guys can track it. 
Uh, I am Matthew Rosenberg, founder and CEO of MRAD Architecture. You can find us at m-rad.com and on Instagram at mradarchitecture. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining us.